This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Ashley Walker spent the first 20 years of her life misdiagnosed as having a form of muscular dystrophy. It was only after her twin sons, Alexander and Jaden, suffered severe respiratory complications following their birth that she and her boys were all diagnosed with X-linked myotubular myopathy, a rare neuromuscular disease. Though the condition predominantly affects males, female carriers like Walker can also experience symptoms that can range from mild to debilitating and even life-threatening. Her sons died a little more than a year after being born. Today, Walker is unable to work and requires breathing assistance at night, but she has become a patient advocate and works to raise awareness about the disease known as XLMTM and the need for treatments. We spoke to Walker about her own rare disease journey, what life with XLMTM is like, and her hopes that new treatments are not far away. Ashley, thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. We're going to talk about your journey as someone with a rare disease, what it was like living with an undiagnosed condition for so many years, and how you and your twin sons were ultimately diagnosed after you gave birth to them with the rare neuromuscular condition known as X-linked myotubular myopathy. As a child, your parents were told how good you were. As it turns out, in an odd way, this was recognition of a medical condition you had. Can you explain what happened? Yes. So um, first memories I have is being in kindergarten and sitting on a colorful number letter rug and dragging a chair closer to me so that I could stand up with assistance. Um, from then, my parents were told that I needed to go through testing um, at a hospital. So I remember staying there for a few days, um, going through a number of tests. Like I even remember having a muscle biopsy, going into surgery, um, and everything came back, you know, normal, 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 normal. And then one of the doctors, a neuromuscular doctor, said, I have a form of muscular dystrophy called limb girdle. And the best thing to do was to keep me active, to keep me um, moving, to keep me, my weight down, and to just live normal life. So when I got into about high school, 
I, I just felt like I gave up on doctors because everything was so repetitive, the testing and, you know, the muscular dystrophy clinic, um, you know, they wanted to give me a cane or a walker. And I just, I didn't want any of that stuff because I just wanted to be a normal girl. In high school, I was able to have a job. I, I'm really into like clothes and makeup and just girl things. So my first job was at a store called Papaya and it was just a regular girls clothing store. And I loved it. I loved dressing people up. I loved, you know, the cash register. I, I loved being around, you know, my friends. And I remember we would go to Mexico for the weekend, like just normal, normal people. Well, um, I met my husband when I was 20. And right away, we started talking about, you know, getting married and having a family. And he was a Marine at this time. So I knew we would eventually have to move. So before we sat down and wanted to have a baby, I wanted to sit down with a geneticist because I knew I had muscular dystrophy, limb girdle, and I wanted to know how it could possibly affect a baby. And so the geneticist said that if the baby came out with muscular dystrophy, it would be like me. I'm, you know, functioning. I need some assistance sometimes, but for the most part, I'm independent. And I felt at that time, okay, if our child has muscular dystrophy, we'll deal with it the same way my parents dealt with it. So we moved to Hawaii and the boys were not supposed to be born until August. And early May, I, my water broke and went into labor. So we're at the hospital and they're completely reassuring us that everything is fine. This is normal with twins. Um, you know, they're, they're just premature and everything will be fine. So they're born and I'm waiting to hear like that first cry, you know, like you have this ima- imagination of what it's going to be like. And I'm thinking, okay, one of them's going to cry. One of something's going to happen and no, no cry, no noise. Um, they're rushed to the NICU right away. And I, um, I'm freaking out, but they're trying to reassure us that everything's fine. And so, um, one of the protocols at the hospital was you needed to be able to walk to go to the NICU. Well, at the time I told them I have muscular dystrophy and maybe it's taking me longer to recover, but I could not walk. I could not stand up. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't. So I demanded a wheelchair so that I could go see my boys in the NICU. So they get me my wheelchair and I get down there and they're completely hooked up to oxygen. They already gave them a G-tube for feeding. Um, They were just, they were so lifeless. I felt like they, you could see them in their eyes that they were there, but their bodies were just, were just not responding. So the doctors tell us, you know, as it gets closer to gestation in August, they'll get better and stronger and it'll be fine. Months go by, we're visiting our children in the NICU. My husband is, you know, working as a Marine in Hawaii um, and nothing's progressing. They're getting bigger, but they're not, 
needing less oxygen. They're still not swallowing. Um, it was it was scary. So I wanted to get them to California because I felt like we would have more help. So during this process of getting them to California, my geneticist said, we need to do a test. And it was a brand new test back then in 2012. Um, it would test every gene in my body because we knew I had muscular dystrophy. So we needed to see what the boys had. Well, it took about nine months and we're in California. We get the boys to a hospital and then eventually to a home. Um, I was trying to get nursing hours to get them home. And even through the military, through private nursing, it was impossible for us to have our boys home because they needed 24-hour care. They couldn't just be unattended for a night or even a couple hours, a couple minutes. There were moments where, you know, one of them, something happened and I watched him turn gray and they needed to bring him back to life. And so I knew in my mind, I could not have them home unless there was 24 hour care. And for whatever reason, we were not able to get that. Um, I don't know if we didn't qualify or because I needed assistance, but we looked into private nursing and that was financially impossible for us. So the next thing was a home and it was called the Bernardi Center in San Diego. And so this was their home and we were waiting on a diagnosis and finally the geneticist calls us from Hawaii and asks if we can sit down with a geneticist in San Diego because the results were a little, a little confusing. I think that's what he said. And I was like, no, I don't have time to make an appointment. I need my results now, please, over the phone. And my husband was driving, we pull over and he pulls, my husband pulled his phone out on Google because we're waiting for this answer. And so they say, okay, it's called X-linked myotubular myopathy. And I'm looking at my husband like, okay, Google, like what's going on? And he hands me his phone and I'm reading and all I could, all I could feel at that moment was this feels like a cancer diagnosis and that there is nothing we can do. So much in that moment made sense to me, but as it was for my boys, they were so severe, so severe and needing so much help. And at that moment, we focused on just making memories in this home as a family, visiting them as often as we could, just being with them. Because again, this diagnosis, there was no pharmacy we could go to to try something. There was just nothing. So this center wanted to get them more involved, you know, with like the program and being around other kids and in my mind, I needed to keep them in a bubble because this diagnosis said, you know, even if they get sick, they could possibly not recover. So I felt like I just needed to create this bubble. Well, and for listeners not familiar with X-linked myotubular myopathy, what is it? 
how does it manifest itself and progress? Okay, so X-linked myotubular myopathy, it's a rare genetic neuromuscular disorder, and it's mostly severe muscle weakness. And, and, and again, because it's X-linked, it's primarily only boys. And I, I, I know that's why I went misdiagnosed because I'm a girl. And why would a girl have an X-linked disorder? It was just, it was impossible. It was nearly impossible. So X, with, with the boys having this rare genetic, severe muscle weakness, um, that is what we were working with. And most of the symptoms are present at birth, but Sometimes they develop later in, in infancy. It can develop in early childhood. It's, it's so different for every person that has this disease, and especially for women. When doctors gave you the diagnosis, what did they tell you? They told me, for me, that I needed to keep my strength as much as I could, meaning continue to exercise as much as I can, um, keeping myself healthy, like not getting a cold or a flu, um, just doing the best I can to be healthy. But then when I had my boys, I was not focused on myself at all. It was all about them and having, again, memories, pictures, because I read something that said most boys will not live until they're two years old. And so in my mind, I thought, if I have them for two years old until two years, I am going to have all the pictures. I want to have all those, you know, a uh, Christmas and an Easter and just over the top. And so once they turned one, they were again in this system where I could not control who they were around because I was not able to be there 24 hours a day. And so they would take them into this really pretty room with bubbles and lights and other kids that were, you know, in wheelchairs and they could see each other. Um, it was great, but it was also, it was so scary because I was just so afraid of them possibly getting sick. And that's exactly what happened. Right after they went into that bubbly light room, I remember days later, Jaden got a cold. And I always had them like interact with each other in the same crib. So they would touch each other and they would, you know, play. Um, and I, I believe that's how the cold started. And then once, once they got a cold and passed it to each other, the cold went into the flu that turned into pneumonia. And once it got to pneumonia, there was no, there, there was no recovery. They were so ill. They weren't responding to antibiotics. They needed to be transferred back to the military hospital in the ICU for insurance purposes. And that's when the doctors told us they're not getting better and this is it. And that's when I felt like this is my rock bottom and this is it even for me. Like I didn't know how I would move on when it happened. And on that day, I think that's why I have such a strong faith now. God took them within hours of each other. I don't even have words on how it happened, but it did. And 
on that day, I told myself that I was going to lose weight and just be this motivated person. Well, I fell into addiction with alcohol and I almost killed myself. I gave myself pancreatitis, um, which they had to remove my gallbladder. And as I was laying there on the table, I'm saying to myself, okay, you were born with X-linked myotubular myopathy, but you gave yourself pancreatitis. You, you are having someone remove an organ because you just can't take care of yourself. Like what is wrong? And so from that point on, I became sober. I never touched alcohol again. I, I just had this drive to, to get better, to get well. I knew, I knew there was research happening. I, I didn't know the depth of it. So that's when I reached out online and I found the MTM CNM Family Connection, who is basically Aaron Ward and Marie Wood, who both have sons, older sons, much older sons. And I looked at them like, this is my hope. This is, this is my new family. Like, this is how we're going to fight this with all of us. And when I, when I realized that there were more people out there, more, more boys, more girls, more women, more adult women, I, I don't know what it was. I just got this drive in me to, to just fix it. I am going to cure this. I am going to find something. I'm, we're going to get through this and I'm going to get stronger. And so when I met the MTM CNM Family Connection with Aaron and Marie, they introduced me to so many more, again, women, adult women, um, and everything started to make sense. We were having, you know, conversations that were, oh, wow, I have to lift my left arm up too. So for me, because I'm a girl and because it's an X-linked disorder, it affects me straight down the middle. My, my right side is strong and my left side is weak. Um, I can't walk more than 12 minutes without feeling like I'm just going to fall to the floor. Um, I can't, I can't do my hair the way I used to. I have to use like shelves and I, I have a lot of help. I'm, I feel so lucky to be in the family that I'm in. They've all completely just rearranged their lives. Like I'm, I'm so terrified to be alone because when I fall, I'm stuck like a bug unless someone can physically pick me up. So just simple little things. I, I can no longer do by myself. I knew 15 years ago when I fell, I could crawl and I could, you know, get myself up on the couch and then get up off the couch. Like things that used to be difficult are now impossible. And that's why these clinical trials are so important to me. Even, even if it kills me, I feel like I am, I can't keep living like this, the way I am today. My weakness my limitations, my, my help. I, even if I had a little bit more strength, like I just want to be me. There are so many times I'm watching a basketball game or a football game and I just want to jump up and scream and celebrate. And 
I literally cannot. And I know I have a lot of help that can actually get me up or I could use devices, but in my mind, I just feel like I'm getting in to this disease. And that's why when I heard about this clinical trials and it happening, I I was trying to go to Europe a couple months ago. And the fact that there is something that someone is trying, like, let me try. So it's, it's been almost 10 years since your sons were born is the prognosis for someone born with this condition any different today? No, it's not. And that's what's really sad. Every every year that goes by, so many more people diagnosed die from this because of complications. Like when I get a common cold, I usually immediately go into the ICU because there are machines there that I don't have here at home that are literally life-saving devices. And even simple falls, I fell a few months ago and hit my head and thank God I didn't knock myself out. But, you know, there are complications with this disease that can kill me or one of them. And that's why this clinical trial is so important to me. There's a patient-focused drug development meeting with the centronuclear and myotubular myopathy patient communities scheduled for August 3rd. For listeners not familiar with these meetings, can you explain what it is? Yes. So the FDA has given our MTM community um, five hours to just give give some light on what we deal with day to day. Because from what you know, the Ward family in Massachusetts deal with, to me in California are just they're so different. So we are going to share our stories specifically with what we go through on a day-to-day. Give them, give them visual, give them content on, you know, devices, on um, nursing, on, on family. So many things are affected. And so this FDA meeting is to just give light into our lives. Ashley Walker, XLMTM patient advocate. Ashley, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.